right, friends, welcome season two on death, a podcast to explore the oftentimes taboo topics of death, dying, and grief. We offer people a place to gather and listen to others around their experience with death and dying. We aim to encourage and support a healthy relationship with death and to move from a fear-based culture of death to a community focused on living life more fully alive and in love. And like always, I'm joined with my co-host, Tom, and Tom is going to introduce our beautiful guest for today. Go ahead, Tom. Hey, thanks, Matthew. So today we are talking with Allie Olson. She is an artist who's currently undergoing uh, breast cancer treatment. And during the beginning of COVID, she began to produce this amazing kids show called Alleyville out of her apartment in Brooklyn. And uh, she also began teaching private lessons to kids in groups uh, with uh, with art via Zoom and it's something that had never occurred to her before that she could do this. So realizing that she had this talent for connecting with kids through a screen, she continued to make Alleyville episodes until the, the pain of the treatment became unbearable and she had to stop. So she put a pause on the show and is now focused on chemo, healing, and educate, educating others about breast cancer. And she has, I'll let her say this, but she's, she says that she's felt so lucky to choose her, her path that she's on right now and to make her own decisions. Um, so with that, Allie, welcome to the show. Yay. Hello. I always, um, do this at the beginning of every show and I'm, I'm Allie and you're in Alleyville. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to Alleyville. Um, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you so much for asking me to be a part of this. I'm really happy to be here with both of you, just in conversation and in presence. And I look forward to the conversations we'll have. And yeah, just touching base on what you said, I, you know, I had a corporate job seven or eight, nine years ago, and quit that corporate job to really focus on art. And it was something I never regretted. And the feeling of being able to do what I do every day uh, and really live life fully in, in the way that I choose to, I think has been what has made this experience a lot less hmm. And let's, I mean, let's get right, right into it. Yeah, like, this, this experience, I, whew, I, I want to get right into it, but I, I also just want to say like, thanks for letting us be in Alleyville. <laughs> it has, it has, like, I, I can't, I can't not comment on it. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, about Alleyville for sure, but let's get into it. Like, how, how are you doing in this moment? Oh, thank you for asking me that way. You know, I really love it when people say, how are you doing right now? Because I learned, you know, that's, it's such a, huge question to be able to say in this moment. Right now, I'm gloriously happy to be here and talking about this subject um, because what I found is that, you know, being diagnosed with cancer, a lot of people, there was so much that I didn't know about it. And it's been fascinating to learn about even just different types of breast cancer and, and make it more comfortable to talk about, which is really cool because I feel like that's what you're doing with the podcast. So right now, in this moment, I feel like I have energy. Um, I feel comfortable. Uh, 
and I feel excited, which are all really great things. Mm-hmm. So let's let's reverse, right? Well, I want to I want to pull back a little bit. So we're checking in on this moment, but I'm curious a little bit, like how how you got how you got here, like what, what was a little bit of your journey and in, in the discovery of, of cancer? And, um, I, I'd like to hear a little bit about that. I I've read and I've, I've listened to you, but for our listeners, I'd love to recap. Sure. So, and just, you know, I'm an open book, so never be afraid to, you know, you can touch on everything. Um, it's, it's a pretty long process, so I'm going to do my best to kind of make it, you know, coherent, uh, you know, I went into, I was working in a restaurant. I worked in restaurants for 20 years. Um, I worked like three nights a week, made art, did, you know, what I love to do the rest of the time. And we shut down on March 15th. Uh, I entered into 44 days of being into my home alone, um, never leaving. And that's when I started Alleyville. For the first two weeks, I was just immersed in it. I watch a TV show. I just really wanted I was, I was thinking about all these kids at home, you know. And then I noticed a lump in my breast. Um, my mother had breast cancer. It, my grandmother had breast cancer. Two of my aunts have had breast cancer. My mother has been um, clear of cancer for about five years. But I definitely, you know, know that it's a part of my genetic line. So I've been seeing specialists for a long time. They've been keeping an eye on me. But this one, I just felt like it was a cyst or something that was you know, nothing to be really that concerned about. But it kept growing, it kept becoming more painful. And one thing you hear often is that breast cancer is not painful. And I think that it's important to remember that it can be and it cannot be. Well, luckily I had a friend, um, Elise, who just is, is really encouraged me to, to go to the hospital or to go to my doctor. And at this time, as we know, you know, the, those were strange places to be because you didn't want to go to the hospital and get COVID. Uh, the hospitals were full. We were hearing, you know, I'm in New York City. I was hearing sirens all the time. Um, so I probably waited longer than I normally would. But I finally went to my breast specialist. He did a fine needle. He thought it was a cyst too. He was convinced it was a cyst because it had grown so fast. He did a fine needle biopsy right in the office. Um, there was nothing in it. So the ultrasound, they sent me to get another biopsy. And the biopsies kept coming back with the word bizarre. It was literally written on my, <laughs> my uh, biopsies, which I thought was really funny at the time. Nobody else thought it was funny. <laughs> um, and then it was, it was necrosis, which just means dead tissue. But basically, they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And as this was happening, the pain was growing. I couldn't even, like, I would have to sit like this because the pain was so bad. This was the only way to, like, kind of get relief. And um, finally went into a biopsy. And there was nine people in the room. It was this tiny little room with fairies everywhere. And when they did the biopsy, a lot of stuff came out. And... That's when my pain lessened. So I think maybe that area was infected. Well, that came back sort of inconclusive. It came back benign. 
But my breast surgeon, who's really great, she's one of the top in the country, she was like, let's just get this out of you. So in September, uh, she took about six centimeters of um, basically dead tissue. They did a biopsy on that. And it, it said that I had LCIS, which is commonly referred to as stage zero cancer. It's popular um, carcinoma in situ, in which in situ, in situ means just hanging out. It's like, it's chilling, you know? And it's, it's just having a party by itself. <laughs> well, when it becomes a carcinoma or invasive, it's like, hey, come to our house party. Or they might go to like other house parties and just, you know, join. Um, but at this point, it wasn't anything necessarily to be afraid of. She sent me to an oncologist. The oncologist said, let's put you on some medicines so that it doesn't turn into something worse. So I went on anti-cancer medicine. And two months later, um, the lump grew back. It was very painful. Again, I had an appointment luckily with an oncologist I told him and he was like well there's no reason for you to be in pain I'm like it's fine like let's just not deal with it but luckily he sent me to an ultrasound they were worried I had another biopsy and I there's this thing called my chart which is basically an internet portal you know that tells you all of your medical history and I just happened to get the results. So at the time I was feeding a 12 year old um, that I was taking care of and I opened the results and it said malignant. It said invasive carcinoma with medullary features. And I've been studying this and I had no idea what that meant. So nobody actually told me I had cancer. Nobody's, nobody ever said you have cancer. I just learned it from the internet. And then I called my doctor and she told me that it was a triple negative breast cancer, which is more aggressive, um, much more rare. My cancer specifically is about one to 3% of people. And she sent me to the oncologist and we made a plan. So I'm doing 16 sessions of chemo to shrink the tumor. And then after that, we'll decide which surgery will be best. And if I need more treatment, um, I was tested genetically. Uh, because this this type of cancer is very commonly genetic. I was tested for 85 genetic predispositions and had none. Oof. So they were very surprised by that. Wow. So it's not genetic. We don't know what caused it. Hmm. So I can only do my own research for what caused it. Um, hmm. Yeah, does, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, I'm curious from from day one of saying like, this something's not right in my body to looking at the my chart how, how about how long was that yeah so it was um may to february, diagnosed february 28th so may, june july august started, september october november december january. so about nine months. nine months so it's like i just think of those nine months as like nine months of you know, uncertainty. Definitely. And I, you know, I really thought it was a phyloides tumor, which is benign. I, you know, I tried to educate myself as much as possible. Um, when I got, when I read it, I immediately cried, but then I just wasn't, I, I don't know. I, after that, I just didn't cry. I, um, just felt fine. <laughs> I've had a very interesting experience with being with the cancer diagnosis, but yeah. It was more 
just that it was unending. So I could never, I could never move on with my life because I was either in pain or I was thought that it was over and it wasn't over. It's just, it was never over. So I think it, it disrupted my life a lot. And then all of a sudden everybody was able to enjoy, you know, the outdoors again and being in groups again and kind of coming out of quarantine COVID life, even though, you know, it's not over. And then here I was kind of like, all right, I have to still stay inside and still not see people. My immune system. That that was hard for me. Yeah. There's this, um, I mean, that's really striking to me what, how you describe it as being this, it was like you cried once and then you were fine with it. And, and, you know, I, I feel like this is a relatively common experience that, that people have when they're diagnosed. We had another guest on the show who he, um, he was diagnosed with a very aggressive cancer and him and his wife were in the room together when they got the news. And he told us that, uh, when they diagnosed him officially, his wife said, uh, pray, praise to God. And there was this deep relief that sort of went through the two of them. And that's sort of the last thing that I think any of us expect to happen when you get diagnosed with, with cancer or something of the likes is that we all of a sudden are like, Oh, there's this cathartic release that happens, or I don't know, but I, I don't know if that's exactly what it was like for you, but it sounds like you found peace pretty quickly after that moment. I mean, in some ways I kind of wanted, this sounds like so dysfunctional, but I sort of wanted to go through the experience of cancer because <laughs> like, I just was like, oh, this is another life experience and why not do it now? Um, you know, instead of when I'm like older and can't handle it even more, I think my friends and my family were very concerned that I was in denial or just putting up like a tough, positive, you know, spirit, but more so it was just a tool of experience and um, of being able to help others understand more people, relate to more people, learn. I really love learning. So it was like, wow, now I get to learn all this cool hospital stuff, you know? Um, And probably, yeah, a lot of it was relief because there wasn't so much, as you said, uncertainty. Um, But I think it was more just, oh, this is a, journey I can totally relate to that feeling of 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 being like oh this is another life experience and 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 I and I feel that's your your hesitation around you know representing that as to like what might what people might draw conclusions from around that or whatever but I but I feel you on that and And I think, you know, it's such a reflection on how much fear plays into how we're reacting to situations where like you, like with, with the knowledge you have of the diagnosis, there's sort of this, there's this solidifying of what it actually is. And then from that progress and unfolding happens versus people who are maybe looking in from the outside, they're dealing with their own fear around what it would mean for them if they got that diagnosis. And, and, and they're like, they're looking at you and they're like, they're like, well, something must be wrong with Allie. Cause she's not freaking out the way that I would freak out. Yes. Oh yeah. Def- I've definitely gotten that. And it took me a long time to decide if I was going to go public with it too. 
I'm glad that you can relate to that. I appreciate you telling me that. Um, and yeah, I think I've been through just a lot in my life. So this is not me. And I had just gone through quarantine alone and, um, you know, so I had practice and, uh, I don't know, it just definitely wasn't the hardest thing I've been through, you know, it's uncomfortable. But, and also because I just wasn't really scared. I, I think it could be different if, some, if a doctor was like, you have two weeks to live. Mm. But I feel like I've lived a lot of life, like seven lifetimes. Mm. You know, so much life. So um, I had to have a therapy. I had like a therapy. I was like, am I, is that something wrong with me? And uh, no, I think I just had gone through a lot. I had a lot of tools and skills. I say that I'm, I'm grateful that it's me and not somebody else because one in eight women will get breast cancer. Because um, I just think I have the disposition in the But when I decided to go public, I knew that it, and what, what I mean by public is I really love, I like having a personality on social media. Um, but I knew it would take a lot of energy out of me. Um, and I didn't really know what to do with the show. But I'm glad that I decided to do it. And the way that I did it is I made up this musical, like this really funny musical um, that was just like, I've got cancer, you know, and, and just released it to the world. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to do this on my terms. And that's what it's, it's been really fun. I always was like, if I get a terminal illness, I'm just going to make up lots of funny, funny songs and dance. And that's what I've tried. Yeah. That is, that's on your terms. I think that is such a beautiful way to, to talk about this. And what I, what I hear you saying is when you were telling certain people, maybe friends or your family, they were like, oh, are, you got to be scared or aren't you, you know, they fill in all of the blanks. And what I see a lot of the times is when people are, when people are doing that, it's because they are now reflecting on how they would maybe act if they got that news. They're thinking about their own immortality. They're thinking about, oh, I could get that too. And then there's that fear that maybe there's the death denial or the not me sort of thing, or people are getting, you know, fill in the blank. So, so much again of the, of this work is, is let's at least talk about this stuff. Right. And I think that you making a musical on your show, <laughs> yeah you're fucking talking about it right yeah oh yeah <laughs> it's definitely. out there well you all are too <laughs> that's why i was so into this i was like yes let's do it i, I grew up really religious so there was a lot of heaven and hell in, in my upbringing and um and so i i think that i've had to think about and then and then i went through a lot of like i love psychoanalysis so i went into a lot of like collective unconscious and, you know, just thinking, what do I believe? And for me, the comfort and the peace came from, instead of being scared of dying, I'm going to do my best to live the life that I want to live. And um, one thing that was a struggle for me, I will say, and I've, I've really tried to have a lot of compassion around this, but so many people immediately say that fuck cancer, cancer sucks. 
I mean, there's like hashtags and t-shirts. And it was very hard because it was sort of this projection that was being put onto me. And, and I felt, I felt happy for them because I know that so many people go through pain, you know, and, and suffering from loved ones that have died or even just dealt with cancer um, or friends or, or children or themselves. Um, but this just wasn't the experience that I was having. The experience I was having was, wow, now I can really live because, you know, I like, nobody's going to, you know, like I get, I have, there's no rules. <laughs> like I have cancer. So that's like the, you know, if I miss a phone call, it's okay. <laughs> you know, if, you know what I mean? Like just these tiny little worries that I had just sort of a little bit less. Yeah, there's like a pressure pressure valve released or something. Yeah, and I really got to like kind of, you know, whereas I might have been hesitant to make, you know, a musical about death before, now I felt like I had permission to do it. Yeah. What you're saying too reminds me of what our beloved teacher Ram Das used to say. You know, I, I had a a Skype session with him many years ago. And, you know, he, towards the end of our session, he, um, he looked at me, you know, he says, I love you. And I was like, Ooh, for a moment, Ooh, I felt so special. Right. Ooh, he loves me. Right. And then he says like, I love the tree. I love the ocean. And then he goes, I love my stroke. I love my wheelchair. And I was like, because for a moment, it's like, oh, he loves me. He loves the tree. And then he loves the stroke. He loves his wheelchair. He loves his pain. He loves his suffering. And I have shared that story before and had other people react very similar. They're like, someone in my life had a stroke, fuck strokes. You know, and and I also get that. There's the anger there. The, the stroke took grandma or grandpa or wh- whomever or took something from you and we're still grieving that and processing that. So there, there's, there's, there's that which I understand too. But to hear you say that is, wow. I mean, it's it's really beautiful to hear that, you know, to like, well, fuck cancer. And it's like, whoa, whoa part of cancer let me let me be it sounds like you're saying is like let me be a little bit more free oh yeah absolutely i mean i i mean i'm learning i uh, help others i you know i have had a whole exploration of who you know myself as a woman you know or you know i I think also humor has played a, a big part. I don't know if you're familiar with Man's Search for Meaning, um, Victor Frankl's book, but he's a Holocaust survivor. It's one of my t- favorite books. Um, he, he always talks about how there's meaning in suffering. And, um, and I've, always, I've always just been blown away by his courage. And, and one of the things he says is that, you know, 
even in the darkest of times, there's always even a, a glimpse or a glimmer or a tiny bit of humor. So I wanted to bring humor. And, but well, there has been guilt because not all people who have cancer or who, go, who are going through this, and I do like to repeat that, like, I'm not stage four, you know, I'm not, um, I, I haven't been given, a, a, you know, a death date, you know, uh, but there's a lot of people who don't react this way. And um, yeah, I just never really been a complainer. I don't know if that's it or <laughs> if it's, it's fun. Like this has just been fun. I mean, also I, I I'm really lucky. I'm unemployed. I mean, I can't imagine. I don't know how our country allows people to, on chemotherapy to work unless they want to, of course. Um, or like I don't have children. Um, you know, so there's a lot of things that I have to be grateful for. And this, I mean, I just focus on that. I focus on, on just. I have a gratitude list I make every day. I'm just really, really, really grateful. Mm-hmm. In our conversation yesterday, you mentioned that actually since your diagnosis, a lot of opportunities have sort of come out of it, too. Yeah. It's, oh, man. This, so I think I've always been a highly energetic person. I lo- I've loved you know, everyone who was like, I don't know how you have energy like the nurses even tell me that I'm like what are you talking about I'm no energy um and it's true that's when that's what's been I think physically definitely the hardest part for me out I get tired just like making art is just hard like just a lot of things that were just easy for me to do long days I could I would go to every borough you know in a day and now it's like going to the post office is a big um but what's cool, yes, is that by sharing my story publicly, uh, there has people, A, this is, this is something that I want to actually just make sure that I, I, I also share, is that the reason cancer has been a gift for me is because I, I think I was always, prior to having cancer, I was looking to do this, I felt like I had to do kind of a grandiose thing in order to leave a legacy. You know, I don't have children. I, um, I I felt like I needed to like, I don't know if it was fame or, you know, leave behind something, right? In order to have made a difference on this earth. But once I got cancer, it was everyone I had ever known in my life. And I've moved a lot. I've gone to a lot of schools. I've been lived in a lot of different cities. They all came out and they were like, we love you. And this is why. And it was, uh, it was incredible that that feeling, my heart just exploded. And it was like, wow, you know what? I've actually feel like I've made some sort of impact in this world. So it's okay if I die because I don't want to die. I don't expect to die. There's a lot more I want to do, but I've done a lot. You know, I've, I've, I've touched people's lives and that's what I want to do in life. So if I've already done that so much for people, then there's a solace and there's a, there's a peace within me. And that's, that's what I mean by it's, it's been such a gift. But yes, Tom, going back to what you're saying, uh, 
the hard the hard part is that I have I, like every day somebody's asking me to do something new, and I have to be very careful with what I say yes to. And I have been saying yes to way too much. And in the last like couple of weeks, I my body has just been taking a hit, and so I've really made. I've tried to honor myself and saying no, but when all of a sudden your life starts getting bigger and bigger, you want, you know, I want to seize that opportunity and allow it to get bigger and bigger, you know? Um, and it's kind of a, a joke. <laughs> it's like, it's getting bigger and bigger, but all of a sudden I have like the least amount of energy I've ever had. Hmm. I want to say, um, we love you. Oh. <laughs> I love you all. And and thanks for you know, that thanks for putting this, like saying yes to this, this and adding it to your to-do list. And hopefully that um you're not super exhausted by by the end of this. Yeah, and I and I wanna say uh if you made an alarm clock with your <laughs> with your voice it, to wake me up in the morning, if it was if it was like Hey, Tom, time to get out of bed. I would be so, I would snatch that up in a heartbeat. I, I love the, the explosive joy that just is seeping out of you until it's, until it just actually like combusts, you know? Um, I love it so much. It's great. Thank yeah. You. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Yo, Tom, Tom sent me your, Instagram, I, I think, um, I think that's how we, we um, started getting in touch with you. And just like, again, the matter of like looking through it for uh, just a couple moments, I was like, wow, this, this is such beautiful, potent, loud, joyous energy. And it's contagious. And I, I, I love that about your posts and your personality and you're even like, I mean, look, look where you are right now. <laughs> yeah, it has very colorful, all the paintings on the walls. And yeah. I'm assuming you're talking about literally. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Um, These like psychedelic rope rainbows. And yeah, it's really something. Cool robots that light up and I have a lot of fun stuff. And I think that that's one day I just needed a lot of color in my life. And I started exploring loading color and it's mm. fun to just dance in my living room and be surrounded by it um, i don't want to i wanted i do want to say is is a very important part of me is to acknowledge the suffering in people you know i i don't i don't i don't believe in like toxic positivity or you know because i said if i was going to go public with this that i wanted it to be positive and humorous and fun and educational but i also needed to show the bad days because i'm i do have them you know i had a friend pass away during during this and um before i even knew i was just so sad and i painted her and that was really therapeutic for me but that was a bad day you know and um and i see girls women my younger than me die a lot like on the internet and so there it's it's not that i'm constantly you know this ball of joy and happiness um i i just want to to make sure that 
that people know that it is hard so that when they see other people going through it, they understand that it is, it's a very difficult thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and thank, thanks for clarifying. I, I don't think that anyone here is thinking that Ali in Alleyville is toxic positivity at all. Okay. No, no. <laughs> Acknowledge the suffering, illuminate the joy. And, and yeah. I would say, um, you know, I can't take away the pain, but I can multiply the joy. So that's what I focus on. And, and it's on your terms, like you said earlier. You know, if someone else was telling Allie that, oh, you just need to be positive. Oh, you need to, you know, be, then, then we could say, well, well, pump the, pump the brakes, okay? I had a shit day. No, I'm, I'm going through really aggressive chemotherapy. I, I don't feel well today. I'm, I'm sad. And, but I, like, that's on your terms. It's, I, I, you know, that, that term is getting thrown out a bit. And again, thanks for bringing it up, but I, yeah. I want to pause for a sec. What, what's your friend's name? Twig. Say that again. Twiggy. Twigs. Twiggy. Hmm. Hannah was her name, but, um, yeah. And I was wearing her. She had made me a tie dyed dress. I was wearing it when I found out um, that she was in a coma and a little, a little younger than me. And, uh, and I had a Friday night, I was just sobbing and just so sad. And it was the wildest thing, actually. I, I was thinking about a, a group of coworkers who were related, they're brothers, the Collado brothers. And I can remember walking through my hall and thinking, oh, I just need to hear from the Collado brothers right now because they would say something really simple, but very wise. And they were young kids that I had managed, but who I just adored. And um, all of a sudden I got a, a, a picture. I'm not joking, this is bizarre. An hour later, I got a picture of Romer, one of the Collado brothers in LA at my friend's house. And they called me and he's like, it's going to be fine, Allie. I heard about what's going on. You're going to be okay. And I was just like, what? And then I heard about um, Twigs and I, I was wearing her dress and I was just like, oh my gosh, like, was I just feeling her? Um, but I, I will never forget that moment. It was just so precise. And he, it was just it happens to live in LA like half the year. I never knew that. Hmm. And that was the first time he had ever visited my friend. And um, painting Twiggy was really, um, I still ha I haven't finished it yet, but um, she was a very special person and I couldn't be there for the ceremony because it was in Kentucky. But she, she stood out no matter where she was. She was a beautiful person who did live her life in an artful way, who had a loving heart, who I wish was still with us, but I'm so grateful to him. Hmm. Oh, I just want to say that, you know, you, um, you see in others what, what you have in yourself. And I have no doubt that that Twiggy was 
a force of creativity and and wonder in the world the way that you describe her in her tie-dye dresses that she made you and <laughs> I mean this sounds sounds like a very special lady and yeah and, and, I, and I know that people see you that way too and that's that's really a beautiful reflection thanks for sharing that memory And as Tom was sharing that, there's like a rainbow just sh shooting off your shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> For people that are not watching the video of this, like you gotta you gotta get online and see a couple <laughs> videos or. <laughs> oh. Uh, I I have an Alleyville question, as I'm. Please. You know, yeah. <sighs> I, I get like this really uh, like Pee Wee Herman kind of uh, inf I don't want to say influence, but like it just it almost seems like the feminine version of Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse. Is is he uh, is yeah, Paul well, the way that ones here? Well, actually, it's 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 more. Pee Wee Herman, definitely. I mean, just because I watched that growing up and Fred Rogers. It's kind of like a mix of like Bob Ross, Fred Rogers, and Pee Wee Herman. Um, and what the reason Alleyville was created is because I kept, it, it, it didn't happen for three years ago. Somebody told me that I should be the, like the next Mr. Rogers. And I was like, well, first of all, that's a lot of responsibility that I don't need. I also <laughs> thought that I'd, nobody would ever date me again. I was like, I'm going to lose all my sexual. Like, I just was convinced that I would use, lose like any sexual identity that I had. It was so weird. But more so, I was just like, I love kids. I love interacting with them. But um, and I love being playful. But I don't I don't you know, I don't have a degree in it. Uh, but but I followed it, followed if anyone would do it and there was one person who did something a little bit similar um but not quite the same uh his name's Blippi and after a while I just kept seeing it was everything was animated and animated can teach you things but there wasn't a human there wasn't a human connecting with kids and I just felt like they needed that and so finally I was just like all right, I threw my hands up and I was like, I'm gonna do it. And Wayne White is a is a amazing artist. He 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 worked on the set of um, Pee Wee's Playhouse, and I've read a lot of uh, biographies, autobiographies of all of them. I've tried not to watch too much because I didn't want to be too influenced. But um, and then all of a sudden, the, you know, the the quarantine really just gave me the push to to do it and uh at first i had a really big team and then all of a sudden it was just me and i had never used a dslr before i had never used a, a, a lights before i had never used a, a editing i mean it was just like all new um but the way that the kids reacted was <laughs> so rewarding it was the most meaningful because kids just they would do the dance and the songs and they wouldn't you know they they, they know all the characters and uh, uh, I just, you know, I don't know what, where, what path this is going to take me. This is Walta, my robot. Um, 
I don't know. This is Mr. Loopy Head, who's a little sick right now. He lost a couple of his pedals. This is a big book of thank yous. And I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I'm I'm one of those people where it's like I really want to go back to to Alley to making Alleyville and maybe get a little help um, with that. That would be great. It's just too much work for me right now. Um, but maybe something else will happen. Uh, but I do feel like kids are awesome and they. They deserve to be seen and heard and their art is incredible and they need emotional tools that they're just not necessarily getting right now. But yes, Kimmy Herman for sure. <laughs> where, where, just so our listeners can know if anyone has kids, even if you don't have kids, what, yeah. what, but where, yeah. where can they find it? Oh, uh, so please, um, it's on YouTube. It's Alleyville, A-L-L-I-E-V-I-L-L-E. Uh, I would love for you to subscribe. There's episodes that are a minute long. There's episodes that are 30 minutes long. And a lot of them um, have storylines. And some of them are just me dressing up and being another character. Uh, but basically, we just have a lot of fun. And there's meaning behind it. But um, we use pu- you know, I have puppets. I have uh, art. And I have, you know, hopefully I'm just helping kids express themselves in a healthy because you know it took me took me till my 30s to learn all these tools what if we gave kids the ability to learn them when they were young how cool is that yeah i love it yeah and and is i think like one thing that i love so much about this show is that we give people an opportunity to ask for help where they need it and so really specifically if anybody's listening to this that that is really touched by your story and wants or isn't touched, but also just wants to help anyway. Um, is there what? What do you specifically? What What would help you bring Alleyville back and sustain it? Well, absolutely. Um, thank you for asking that. I appreciate that. I do have a GoFundMe campaign, uh, which is helping me pay for my rent, for my bills, um, and the financial stress. I had financial stress a lot. I wasn't on unemployment. Now I'm. Not going to be on a moment. And my two jobs that I had were nannying and restaurants. And I know it seems like I have a lot of energy now, but this is my like one big thing for the week. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a GoFundMe. Yeah, it's um, help Allie conquer cancer. You can, you know, I'd love for a donation to that. Anything that I have in excess will definitely go towards. Hiring, I mean, just having someone help me move the lights around and the camera or, um, you know, hold the puppet. Because, I mean, even just, like, holding the puppet and then having to do the voiceover later. Like, if I could just do the voice while the puppet's moving would be great. Um, But you'll also be feeding me. I don't have an oven. I have most of my food delivered. um, And you'll be allowing me to heal really. So financially, that's a great way to support me. Following Alleyville is a great way to support me. I have an Etsy store. It's called Alleyville Fun Time where I make really uh, gratitude journals and and, um, art and non-toxic candles and lots of fun stuff. And then also just going to Alleyville Art or Alleyville, but Alleyville's kind of paused right now. on Instagram, but if you go to Ali Olson Art, uh, it's where I'm sharing my cancer story. It's also where you can find the GoFundMe link, and um, and really just you know watching the videos or sending a comment or passing them along to anyone who's going through cancer or 
or just wants to learn in just sharing how you can prevent this, you know, um, and also how you can smile, you know, so if anyone who needs a community or just needs a little touch of, of whimsy in their day, um, I would love, I would love to have a follow on there. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you so much for asking that. I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So GoFundMe, definitely get to the GoFundMe and I'll, I'll comment if you're like, well, I don't have that much to give. Even if you donate five or $10, whatever it is or whatever the minimum is, I, I was on the receiving end of a GoFundMe um, and I can't tell you, every time a donation came in, I was so incredibly touched. And, and I, I would see them come in from small to large. And I was just, you know, I was like over, overcome with joy. I would just cry. Mm -hmm. And really, truly, because as, as a giver of these things, we either think it's not enough or it really, it's like, okay, done, done, done. And then that's, that's the last time you usually think about it. But each one of people's donations and multiple people that I've talked to that were on the receiving end of GoFundMe's are just overwhelmed with support it's a really incredible way to support people so if you're on the fence with that stuff please do it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i actually i had to tell my therapist um that i was responding to every single person with like seven sentences and it was like taking a lot out of me because i really love engagement and i love like acknowledging other people and she's like it's okay to copy and paste i was like i will not copy and paste <laughs> so i kind of like figured out a really nice short way to respond to each person personally, but also not have it taken out of me. <laughs> so I know exactly what you're saying, and you're, you're completely right. And Allie, for that one person you might have missed, if that person's listening, Allie still appreciates your support. You know, that stuff sometimes. You know, if, if someone didn't get a response, it's not because your donation... Oh my gosh, please forgive me if you, if you didn't get a response from me. And just, <laughs> I'm, giving, I'm giving you one now. I, I love you. I'm grateful for you. Blah. That was just for you. That's like, that, was just, that was just for the one person who Allie forgot. Not copy-paste it. <laughs> so Allie, we usually... Tom, do you have any last thing or you want to have Allie share? Yeah, yeah. Um, I know Tom already let you know that we we like to offer a, a moment of either poetry or prose or a contemplation or you know a little sort of send us send us off. Um, and I know I, I think you had something that you wanted to share with us and our listeners. Yes, I, I just wanted to say one one if, if it's okay. I want to say yeah. one thing that is your helps. time. Um, you know, I put up all these little mantras around my house that just really help you know and, and, and they're they're up and the, until they're ingrained in my head and then they come down I just write them on index cards and one of the ones that's been the most beneficial throughout my life and especially during this time is pay attention to what it's supporting instead of what's sitting you and whatever you're going through in your life um, that's been really important there's always something or someone's Allie, can, can you repeat that a, a, again a little bit, maybe closer to the microphone? Because there might have been a little cutout. I just want to make sure people hear that. So, 
pay attention to what is supporting you instead of what is defeating you. Because there's always going to be someone or something supporting you. And that could be the floor that you're standing on. It could be your partner. It could be uh, you know, children who believe in you. Uh, but the more you focus on what's supporting you instead of low self-esteem or the self-doubt or um, the financial stressors. I think it's a very healthy way and something that's been just so easy, but so helpful in my life. So that was um, one thing I, 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 that just has helped me a lot. Hmm. And then I do have another thing I can share. Please. Please. So um, I talk about gratitude a lot because I just think, you know, such a useful tool, appreciation, you know, because word is popular for a reason. But um, yeah, the what you appreciate appreciates, and you know, it's like I will walk down the street and just rattle off the things that I'm thankful for. And in the kids show, we always do, we always end it with the big book of thank yous where we write three things that we're thankful for. But what I'm going to read to you is. Um, by Oliver Sacks. It's a it's it's called Gratitude, and it's a just a small group of essays that he wrote late in his life. He um, died when he was 82. He was um, a neurologist who also wrote a lot, and beautiful human being. Just a really wonderful. Human being. So this, I think, is really lovely. Um, there will be no one like us when we are gone. But then there is no one like anyone else ever. When people die, they cannot be replaced. They leave holes that cannot be filled. For it is the fate, the genetic and neural fate, of every human being to be a unique individual, to find his own path, to live his own life, to die his own death. I cannot pretend I am without fear, but my predominant feeling is one of gratitude. I have loved and been loved. I have been given much and I have given something in return. I have read and traveled and thought and written I've had an intercourse with the world, the special intercourse of writers and readers. Above all, I've been a sentient being, a thinking animal on this beautiful planet. And that in itself has been an enormous privilege and adventure. That's by Oliver Sacks, and it comes from the essay, which I believe is also the title of his book, My Own Life. Mm. Allie, thank you. We're grateful for you. We're grateful for Allieville. We're grateful for your uniqueness and your outward joy, your expression. We're grateful for everyone contributing to your GoFundMe. We're grateful for all of the healthcare workers supporting you, your friends and your family. 
We're grateful for everyone who delivers your food, who delivers your packages. We're grateful for the animals in our lives that are supporting us during these times. Mm. And really, really grateful for the conversation and appreciate your time. Grateful for your time. Thank you so much for being here with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What a great, that was a great writing in the big book of thank yous. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Matthew, for covering all the bases there. <laughs> and thank you, Allie, so much for bringing yourself and Allieville onto the podcast. It's been such a pleasure. So, so happy that we got a chance to connect here. Well, it's been my pleasure. I'm just so <laughs> grateful. This has been a delight. I mm-hmm. love what you're doing. Thank you, thank you, thank you for talking about these things, for making it comfortable, for seeing people and hearing people and giving people a voice, and also just bringing it out into the open, you know? Mm-hmm. I just really appreciate your time. And, and, you know, I, I'm grateful for your gratitude and also grateful for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And, and we're going to do a, a bonus episode with Allie where she's going to run us through an exercise. Um, and that's going to be a visual thing. So if you want to see that, you're going to have to check out our YouTube channel, which is brand new for season two. And Allie's our first guest. And you're going to see a little bonus episode on there with with a really awesome exercise she's got planned for us. So check that out on death podcast, uh, on YouTube. So, um, I think that's it for now. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks. I mean, we've said a lot of thank yous, but it doesn't have to have one more. <laughs> Usually how it is at the end. We're right. all, we're all thanked out. It takes 30 minutes to end. <laughs> thank you everyone for listening. Um, season, season two bonus episode coming up. All right. Bye for now. Bye.